brother Cole passed away, I'd hang out with him a lot and he taught me a lot of stuff and he was a wrestler. And so as a little kid, he kind of taught me some of his moves and stuff. Cole got sick with an autoimmune disease called dermatomyositis when I was seven. And I didn't really know what it was. I kind of tried to be a good brother, but it was always hard for me because I didn't really know what he was going through. And then once he had passed away, I had feelings like it was my fault that he passed away because I wasn't a good brother. I was almost like my family would be better off without me. My mom and dad had left the house. I got in a fight with my brother and I, I was kind of mad and stuff. And so I went into my mom and dad's room and my dad had just gone on to a missions trip and he brought back a machete from Guatemala. And so um, I was really having suicidal thoughts because I thought my family would be better off without me. And then my, my sister came in there because she needed to get something and sh she saw me and she, somehow she like recognized that I was having those thoughts. And so that she just stopped me right then. And it was the last hour of the day in, in sixth grade. And we had Bible with Miss Alderson. And she said, um, whatever God tells us to do or something, we can just have like free time with the Lord. And so I just kind of laid down by the computers and I just closed my eyes crying. And I didn't know like why I was crying. But then just as my eyes were closed, I saw like Jesus standing in front of me in this wheat field. And then so I, I was kind of confused and I could still hear like all my friends around me, but I like wasn't there. So Jesus led me to like this log cabin and it had like flags above it and it was in the wheat field. We went inside and we were examining the trophy case and Jesus told me that they were things that our family would accomplish in our lifetime. By this time, all my friends had already left because school was over. And so my dad and my sister, they came in and like my, my dad picked me up and then they walked me downstairs and they put me into the car and all I could do was like cry over what had happened. The next encounter, I closed my eyes and I saw Jesus in front of me in the wheat field, just like the last encounter. And then I had noticed in front of me was a basketball court and then Jesus kind of ran onto the basketball court and he took a basketball and then he started shooting. And then my brother Cole from like nowhere, he ran out and he stole the ball and then he started shooting. So it was like a free for all basketball game until Cole said, here, I want to go show you something. And then I saw the log cabin in the distance and my brother was like, remember this? And I was like, yeah. So we ran up to the log cabin. We went to the trophy room and I was like, whoa, there's new trophies. It was one of the bigger ones and it said family on it. And then Cole hugged me and he said that I was a great brother. And so I started tearing up because that's exactly what I needed to hear. So before the two encounters, I was really strug struggling with self-hatred and thinking it was my fault for my brother's death. But um, after that, I just didn't have any of those thoughts. I was completely set free. I've got one question. How good was Jesus at basketball? <laughs> he was pretty good. He didn't miss very often. <laughs> what was he wearing? Was he in basketball shorts and stuff, or was he in...? Ah, oh, that's hard. I, I can't quite remember. He was in shorts, though. And um, I never recognized his shoes. I can't recall what his shirt was like. And... 
the, the, I can, love, like, I don't know what they look like, but like looking into his eyes, all you could feel was just love all around you. Amen. I just wanted to start that off. Um, I think it's really important that we, uh, we teach our young people how to discern and really train their ability to, to know what's going on. How many of you guys know that one of the reasons why Jesus told stories was because the spirit world is in the invisible world? And when you tell a story, you're tapping into a person's imagination. And that is where revelation comes into play. And um, I just, I want to talk about discernment today. I really feel that um, the spirit of discernment has been, uh, we, we do a lot of pro- prophesying, we prophesy, we speak in tongues here, uh, we do all those things, and I, I, I just wanted to talk about discernment this morning, because I, I really think that that's going to be something that really uh, allows people to take a huge turn in the way that they perceive what God is doing, when God is doing it, and their place and what uh, in, in the grand scheme of things. So you guys, uh, if you don't mind opening your Bible, um, we're just going to read that, the real quick uh, passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I, have a, I really have a ton of scriptures to read today. And um, I'm just going to spend some time in the Word. If you don't have your Bible, we'll, we'll have the majority of these uh, majority of these scriptures up here, but um, we've, um, how many of you guys know that Jesus said that um, no man comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws him? You guys, have you guys heard some of the testimonies as of late in, in our family, in our church family here? It's been really interesting where we've had... Um, We've just had some, you know, my dad shared something a couple Wednesday nights ago. How many of you guys heard that once he was sitting down at the McDonald's and the guy just came up to him and just started spilling his guts about life and my, God, my dad got to pray with him. And I, I really, um, God's really just shaken up my way of thinking when it comes to that stuff because I, I used to teach that, um, I used to tell people, you know, people just don't come up to you. And ask you about Jesus. I mean, I used to say, and you, probably some of you, and I, I don't know why I thought that, and probably the reason is, is because it never happened to me. But just because it doesn't, it's never happened to you doesn't mean it's not, it's not on his grid. Doesn't mean it's not a possibility. And, how, you know, we have a, everyone here has some form of grid. They have a way of thinking. And we often think that our way—it's we often think that it's our way of thinking that is the right way of thinking, but we don't know what other things that are out there. It's like every time I've said God won't do that, I just haven't heard all of God. Like, you know, and there's this there's this phrase out there, and I want you to be just conscientious. I've heard this phrase: "There's no more revelation." Well, that means you know everything. There's no more revelation for God. But there's a ton of revelation for us. There is new revelation. 
And it's found in Jesus. And what one thing that uh, I mean, I know, I know, I'm, I know, I'm. Uh, this is again, this is not a balanced message. <laughs> we we have pizza, and Kim likes to eat broccoli with pizza, and that's just that's too much balance for me. <laughs> I like pizza and Coke or Dr Pepper, but when you throw in anyway, so th- this is one of those another unbalanced messages and I know there's another side to what I'm saying I I, I do get that but it would just be too confusing if I just taught both sides you'd be like well what do I what do I what are you trying to say so I just I just know that there's so much out there that what I currently know I mean honestly the things that I the things that I used to believe were not from God I did not know that 10 years later in my life, I would be teaching. (laughs) That's fun. That's so fun. I mean, just God has a way of putting spice in life. And please do not dull, dull your own life by thinking that there is only one way to Jesus. The Bible does say there is one way to the Father. But every single one of Jesus' disciples came to him a different way. Some were called out. Some were invited. Some were other disciples that came to him. One came through a word of knowledge. There's just a ton of different ways that we come into that discipling. And I just, I am, I'm just, I've just been so, uh, uh, God's just really given me an awesome brainwashing to say, you know, I have so much more of a grid I want to show you. I, I just want to expand, expand the horizons. And for some people, that's a really scary place because we tend to think that sometimes we think walls are for, for, for protection, but sometimes they're for limitation. And some, I, I really think that God wants to unbox Revelation to people. I really believe that he wants to open the eyes of people who for too long have kept their eyes shut out of fear of I don't want to get into something weird and I trust me I I totally agree with you but a lot of the stuff that I used to say was weird I, I'm just, it's just a, it's a told, it's a whole nother world. And I'm so glad that he's creating another world in me. He's just, it's, 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 you know, we, have you guys ever seen the periodic table and we have the chemical elements, but we don't know what other things that are out there. And not until you're hungry, do you get to explore and see. And I think the word of God is our, is our starship enterprise. To take us where no man and few women have gone before. So, um, all the women said amen. That was, that was free. You guys got your Bibles in 1 Corinthians. We're going to do 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. And uh, let's see, what did I tell you guys? Yeah, let's read 4. There are diversity of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. 
And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to, an, to, other, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the workings of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But, the, but one and the same Spirit works all, thing, all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Now, what's the, what's the operative word there that keeps being re- repeated over and over and over? Same. 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 You know, I, um, God's showing me how much He is in all creation. Uh, we, um, we went to Disney World uh, two weeks ago. And I want to get into that story. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel. We're going to read uh, 1 Samuel 3, <clears throat> Old Testament. Uh, iPad page. I'm joking. I don't know. First Samuel three, and we went to um, we went to Disney World. We had a ton of fun. I have some pictures and stuff. I'm going to show you guys in just a little bit. But but um, God really showed me something that I wasn't uh, I wasn't really prepared for because I I just wasn't looking for it. And it's really hard to prepare yourself for something God has for you when you aren't looking. And a lot of times. If you aren't looking, he he doesn't show it to you because if he shows you something and you knew he was showing you something and you rejected it, he'd be accused of disobedience. So he waits for your hunger and then he pours out his spirit. He he doesn't pour out new wine on old wineskins. So he waits for your hunger and he waits for your faculty for your mind to be at a place where it is ready to receive. And then, because He's a gentle God, then He pours out His Spirit on you. And He gives you new revelation, new expansion, new ideas, new graces. And um, um, in 1 Samuel chapter 3, again, we're talking about discernment. Something really hit me when I was reading this passage in 1 Samuel 3. It says, Now the boy Samuel, verse 1, Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. You guys hear that? And the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and there was no widespread revelation. Makes me really... Really leery when people are like, there's no new revelation. You're just not hungry for it. You like your grid. You like what you believe. And there might be something he wants to do. Again, the Lord wants to do it. And he's being patient with you. And so it says there was no widespread revelation. Next verse. Check this out. Next verse. And it came to pass at that time while Eli was lying down in his place. And when his eyes had began to grow so dim that he could not see. There's something happened in the physical body when you start when you stop trying to find things out in the spirit world. 
Here we see, in those days, the word of the Lord was rare, and there was no widespread revelation. And in the next verse, the man of the house of God was losing his sight. That is a major, that is a major uh, a revelation right there of what happens to people who have lost their hunger to see what the Spirit of the Lord wants to show them is their body actually follows suit. And his sight began to grow dim. What is revelation? It's what you see. Because the spiritual eyes had become closed, the man of God's eyes had started to grow dim in what he's seen. And because of that, listen to this, and it, um, in verse 3, and before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down. So here you have Samuel in the vicinity of the tabernacle where the ark was. And the Lord called Samuel, and he said, here I am. So he ran to Eli, here I am. For you called me. And he said, I did not call. Lie, lie down again. And he went to lay down again. You know, I think when the revelation becomes dim and dim and dim, even the man of God in the house has a hard time discerning himself when it's the Lord speaking. And here you have in verse, in verse 6, And then the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. He answered, I, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. So he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be, if he calls you, that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. You know, I kind of wonder what Eli was feeling here at the place, because, you know, here he is, the, he's the guy at the temple. Right there. I mean, his eyes are growing dim. No new revelation. And yet, God's speaking to this little boy who doesn't even know the voice of the Lord. That, you got to dig on that one for a little bit. Verse 11 says, Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows, because his son made themselves vile, and he did not restrain them. And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. For Samuel lay down until morning, 
and opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. So here you got, you got the temple boy who had this crazy encounter with God, whom before he said anything, he did not, until Eli said, look, I think God's talking to you. Next time he says something, you say, you, you, you say whatever you want, I'm your servant. And then he gets this word of the Lord. <laughs> you almost, you, you already know, I don't know if you guys know this, but God had already warned Eli about his house. You know, it almost makes me wonder what, if that was what would cause the, the dimness of revelation of that fear of the retribution of God on his own house that caused him to stop, ho- stop hoping or looking for mercy from the Father but rather caused him to go cold and the revelation to go cold. And here we have, here we have in verse um, um, uh, 16, so, uh, Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, he answered, Here I am. <laughs> Same voice. And he said, What is the word of the Lord, uh, with the word the, uh, that the Lord has spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. God told so to you, and more also, if you hide anything from me of all the things that he said to you. Then Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what, he se- uh, what seems good to him. So Samuel grew and, and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. Then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord had revealed himself to, to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And I, I, I read this story, and I have heard it, uh, I've heard it quite a few times of how, you know, it's, it's really awesome that God used a familiar voice. God used a familiar voice because Samuel did not know the voice of the Lord. He didn't know God. Yet he's serving in the temple. That scares me. How many people are in the house of the Lord and they don't even know him? And the problem is, does not lie with the people not knowing him. The problem lies in leadership that does not know how to guide the people to bring revelation, to open up their own eyes and then when the word of the Lord comes, they get it the first time. And so, is, uh, I, 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 you, you never, you know, I, I, you never blame the people for something. You never blame, a chi- never blame a child for something they don't know. God does not hold the people, God does not hold the world accountable for a love that they have never experienced. God is not a bad judge. He knows whether or not you have experienced Jesus mano a mano. He knows if you've come in encounter, come encounter with someone who has, not, has a form of godliness but denies the grace that will relieve you from the shame and iniquity. You, you know what shame, you know what iniquity is? Iniquity means shame. 
That's what it means. Okay? So when it's talking about, and Eli knew iniquity, this is a guy who knew shame. Not only, if the problem with shame is when you experience it, you try to bring others down to reduce the, the impression that shame has on you. And it's a false way of elevating yourself back to a way of righteousness. It's the people with the most sin usually call it out the most. And the people who have the most heresy are usually the ones calling out heresy. Well, read in the Bible. Most of the people who are the heretics are the ones screaming heresy. And what I think, I think that's the spirit in them trying to get out of them. <laughs> that's what I think it is. And so, because they're not looking for what they don't know. They themselves, their eyes have been closed. Jesus said, I do not, I, I have come to bring sight to the blind, but I have come to give blindness to those who say they see. And so I, I'm just, I, I, wanna, I want to I be hungry all the time. And I want to be, there are people that are coming into my, coming into my, my world, my, my area of influence that God is bringing in that it is up to me to say, do you know you're hearing from the Lord? Do you know, do you, do you know that was the Holy Spirit talking to you? Well, I thought that was just me. No, that, that wasn't you. See, God's voice always sounds familiar to you. You know how weirded out you would be if you heard a different voice inside your head? You ever think about that? Like, you know, David, go pray for that guy. I'd be like, okay, time out. But no, we're familiar with the voice inside of our head. And a lot of times that's how God speaks to you. He doesn't like Thus is the Lord. <gasps> that must be God. It sounds low. And God has a deep voice. Evidently. According to the movies. And the movies never lie. So God uses a familiar voice in order to get Samuel in a position to hear what God is saying. You know, for the longest time growing up, growing up, my parents would, they'd ask me, is the Lord speaking to you? And I'd be like, I don't know. Well, if he, if he tells you something, you'll know it. Sounds awesome. <laughs> and you know what I was looking for? Uh, David, this is God talking. I was waiting for that, but I wasn't aware that the Holy Spirit had been moving. He'd been talking to me. He'd be, he'd convince me of what I was to do. He would lead me into places. Good shepherds can lead you. They don't have to push you. And so we went to, we went to Disney World uh, last uh, not last Monday, but the week before that. Uh, our, we got up at 3 in the morning. Um, that's what Disney will teach you. That's how magical. It will totally eclipse your logic and make you get up that early. We got up at 3 in the morning. Our plane left at 6. My dad and mom dropped uh, me, Aaron, and Reagan. I say Aaron? Kim. 
Aaron's still a part of my world. Um, uh, uh, it dro- he dropped uh, me, uh, Reagan, and Kim off at the airport. And Judah, Judah. Y'all, we, we got a baby coming. His name is Judah, Judah Rain. Let's make an announcement. Uh, Judah means praise. Rain means uh, strong counselor. So what I'm trying to do, I'll raise up a boy. That way y'all just go to him whenever y'all need. No, I'm joking. That's, that's horrible. We'll delete that later. But so we get in the airport. And uh, the thing about it, I'm trying to prep Reagan because this is her first airplane flight. And I think we have a picture. It's, I think it should be the first picture. Um, if you can put that up here. And this is her looking out the window of our plane. It's about 6.15 in the morning. It was negative three on the tarmac. I don't know how it got that cold. Some genius left the AC on when it was 25 degrees outside. And we walked through and they warned us. They wouldn't let us, they'd only let us go like down the tarmac in twos because it was too cold and they didn't want people standing in line. Luckily there was no breeze so it just felt like a really cold box. And so we walked through, we get in the airplane and uh, we're sitting down, <clears throat> and we're, um, uh, you know, and, and the cool thing, we, we've trained Reagan to just, well, we're, we, we love people, so we always say hi. So she's just like, hi, hi. And you see some people like, oh, she's so cute. And then you see the others like, oh, not a baby, you know. And I mean, don't say some of y'all haven't done that. Uh, and so she's just like, hi. Hi, Mickey, Mickey, and everyone's like, "You're going to, you're going to Disney World, Mickey." And so we go and we sit down, and and she gets, she doesn't, um, she's not an advocate for seat belts, but we're breaking that. And so she gets buckled in, and she's just kind of Kim takes a picture there, looking out the, um, looking out the window, and luckily she conked out before takeoff, and um, and she. She was scared at some points, but she wasn't like, <gasps> you know, like terrified scared. She was ex- excited scared because she didn't know what she was going to experience. So what, it was up to Kim and me to take that emotion of excitement where it's really a teeter-totter of being you know, a fun time on the airplane or absolute nightmare and we are trying to steer that towards, man, this is fun. We're on an airplane. We're going up in the sky. And, and, and so we did that. And luckily, she had enough peace. She conked out. And do the next picture. Um, and this is when us, uh, well, here's us and uh, that's Kim and Reagan and Cinderella. Uh, it was pretty awesome. We had dinner with the princesses because we're royalty. So we felt right at home, you know. And, and so um, go to the next one. And this is, uh, she really got the whole princess thing down. And so she really, um, evidently princesses drink Coke a lot and, and chew up their straw to where you can't suck anything through it. And what's the next one? And uh, this is her skipping around and she had to have her backpack. We're in Disney World just kind of walking around. Let's, let's do the next one. She's so cute. And this is us on the carousel. She just thought horses are amazing, so we, we went on that, and uh, she's just, she's a doll, she's having total fun. Let's go to the next one, and um, this is us somewhere in the build, in the area. What was another one? 
We got one more or two more. Oh, this is us having, um, we're having a lunch in this awesome restaurant and we're right next to an aquarium and there's like sharks and things swimming by. Go to the next one. Uh, but uh, Reagan's more excited. She has crayons. And so we're like, there's a shark. And she's like, Kala? You know, and that's a, that's a true prophet. Totally not able to be distracted by anything. She's just doing some sort of word of the Lord on paper, drawing somebody's destiny. She's, she's drawing in tongues, I know. Uh, let's do another one. And so, you turn up the volume. We're about to meet Eeyore. And do the uh, do the do the next one now. I guess they just loop. And the next one, we, um, Winnie the Pooh didn't know she did not want to be um, approached. So go ahead and go to the next one. Go to the next one. <laughs> Bring out the volume. All right, you can go to the next one, next verse or something. There you go. You just do a clear all. So that was our, our little experience, and um, we, uh, we had a ton of fun. We did a, a ton of other things, and um, one thing that, that I, uh, I, I recognized when I was here was the spirit of excellence on this organization. You know, we were kind of blown away by, you know, we, by the service. It was amazing. Uh, we got these awesome wristbands like uh, two weeks before that had our names like on the box. It was like a, a custom box with a wristband that you, you get into your hotel room with and your food stuff is all on these wristbands and 
You know, you go and you get on a ride and they scan your wrist and you go to the front of the line. All this, all this amazing stuff. I had a, just an amazing time. And, and as I'm going through all this, I'm, I'm enjoying this. It's, it's just an experience, an absolute experience. And something, something kind of twitched in my, in my soul, if you would. And, and you know, Disney is, is actually called, Disney World's actually called the happiest place on earth. I don't know if you guys have heard slogans. They call themselves, it calls the happiest place on earth. And something in me was like, you know, why, why isn't the church the happiest place on earth? And I, in the response, I, 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 felt, I felt the Holy Spirit pose the question because he wanted to give an answer. And you know, why isn't the church the happiest place on earth? And this is what he said. He says, because you don't see these people as the church. And I was like, he said, you see these people as a building. Or you see the church as a building. And you say we are the church. But if you really wanted to know why the church is in the happy, it should be, the ch- if the church is supposed to be the happiest place on earth, and you know it's in the happiest place on earth. It's because you got your wrong perception of what the house of God is. And, and then he brought me to this verse. You guys turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 28. You guys ever heard something called the principle of first mention? It, what it is, it, it is that the first time the Bible brings up something in the Bible for the first time, you want to pay attention. Because what the Lord is doing is he's setting up a model. And when we have the Adam and Eve, there was nothing wrong with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. Their problem was they saw themselves as something wrong. But there actually was never anything wrong with them. It was that eating of the fruit actually created a, a distinction that God did not want them to have. And when, when they, but before that, they were perfect. There was no flaw in them. And that's our first model of humanity. And um, in Genesis chapter 28, how about, how, about, how about I turn there? Okay, now, now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head and he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there were angels of God who were ascending and descending on. Next one. Is there uh, another page? And, the, and behold, uh, on it, and behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you. Next one. I will keep you uh, wherever you go. And will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then, then Jacob 
um, awoke from his sleep and said, listen to this, surely, everybody say surely, the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. There were no people. There was no building. Only one man and his dream. You know, I, I, as I walked away from Disney, I, I was like, this is one man and his dream. That is the first mention of what the house of God is. Now, I, I am a total advocate that we need to not neglect the assembly of the saints. But once you understand who you are, it's pretty much impossible to not be around people. Because it's a natural thing for you to want to give what you have because it is life. And it creates more life. So when you have a when you have what he intended to give you, assembling with the saints isn't even part of the equation. Like the, it's not a mandate. It's just part of your life. Like I, I don't, we don't come to church because we have to. You know, it's like, man, it's, it's a part of me to give you what I've experienced because it is from God and it's going to bring you as much life, if not more, of what he gave me. That is just the body of Christ. And we're continually being in communion with each other. So I, I looked at this and, and the Holy Spirit was like, David, this, all this, this right here, this is all my house. This is the house of God. This is Disney World. This is the house of God. The only difference is you haven't intentionalized it as my house. Does that make sense? You guys are the house of God. This is a building, and it's awesome we get to meet here. But even if there were no other people, it would still be complete. Because his presence is in you, and it's with you, and it never left you. And it never will leave you. It's actually pretty simple, but we have, we have been exposed to a complicated um, uh, just a, a complicated um, uh, counterfeit that tries to complicate what God meant to be so simple. Love is pretty simple, but knowledge can complicate it. Mm, well, that's for somebody. I heard this, I, I saw this thing on Facebook, and I had to share it because it's, this is part of the stuff that God's been rooting out of me, and it was a kind of a knock-knock joke, kind of a knock-knock. It was a picture, and it, and it was knock-knock. Who's there? Jesus, and I must come in. Why? To save you. From what? From what I'm going to do to you if you don't let me in. We have a weird, there's a weird gospel that is fairly predominant. And it's absent of love. It teaches people that Jesus loves you, but if you don't receive him, He's going to throw you in hell. It doesn't take a a three-year-old to figure out something's wrong with that message. 
There's something wrong with that. That's weird. That's a, we- that's a weird God. Uh, that's, that's a powerless God. I, 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 beg, I beg to say that's a God that doesn't even exist. And that's why it doesn't change people. It will bring them into fear, and then they just get weird. Fear will make you do stupid things. Love will make you look like a genius. Hey, it will make you look like a savior. There is no fear in the gospel. There is no separation in our message. You know, 1 Corinthians and in chapter 15, verse 55 says, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? And it's, it's become a part of my, my life, my gospel, to remove any sting that hell has. It, to remove any victory, any fear that might come across in anything that I have to say. I'm going to test it and I'm going to remove it. Because there is no fear in Him. Perfect love casts out all fear. I just, I, I, and here's what I'd like to do, because I'm realizing how real and how perfect the message is when you don't try to control people. Because the gospel is not the need to control anyone. The Holy Spirit leads you. You know, and there's, there's, now I totally understand we have submission, we have the fivefold ministry, we have things like that. But look, the reason why you have the fivefold ministry is to equip you. The reason why you have submission is for protection and for launching. That, that's good leadership. Jesus was not, was not self-conscious of how, how he was making his disciples feel when they were around him. There's something about being in the presence of God that makes you think you're awesome. Do you know who was the most, you know who the Bible says is the most humble man that walked the planet? Moses. Do you know who wrote that? Moses. We tease about that, but that's in the Bible. He wrote that. You know I'm going to start saying I'm the most humble man I know. (laughs) David was a man after God's own heart. Guess who wrote that? David. John, John, book of John. John said that uh, the the disciple who Jesus loved, there's Peter, James, and the disciple whom Jesus loved. (laughs) Who wrote that? John did. Some of us would have a hard time accepting that higher thought life. Some of us would have to repent to get up there. Selah. But I, there's something about being in the presence which makes them argue who's going to be the greatest. Because they have a perception of what greatness is. And I've un, I've I've I'm starting to come to see the what the anointing does to somebody, and I, I've I've of, I've often asked why. You know, Jesus never anointed people with with oil. You know what the you know why the anointing was in oil form? 
in the Old Testament? Because anointing was an oil form because you had to have something that immersed you because it had to immerse you and become like a part of you. But it could not have form. But see, when Jesus touched you, that was the anointing coming on you. But it had form. It was a man. You don't believe me, we're going to read something. Uh, we're talking about in the discerning of the Spirit of God. I've, I've, I've seen this, how people in the Bible, they learn how to recognize the Spirit of God. And as I'm learning to recognize the Spirit of God, I'm learning how people are having encounters and they don't know how awesome the place that they are in. You know, they have a dream. They have an experience. They have something. And I'm just like, man, you're in the presence of God and you don't even know it. And it's just, it's a really cool place to be because it, it makes me um, look in retrospect to all the things that God is bringing glory to in my life that He has done. And it equips me to see what He's going to do even, even, it doesn't even talk about, you know, not even negating bad experiences. God's being glorified in those things. And um, one thing John says um, in, in um, well, let's, let's turn to John 9 real quick. I'm almost done. Thanks for letting me just talk, talk with you guys today. I just kind of, just wanted to talk with y'all. This is something that really, um, something that the Pharisees did that really came into check with um, the way I do things. Because I saw some of me and what they were doing. And uh, it, really, it really put a check in my heart. It says, Now Jesus passed by. He saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he has been born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the work, works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. I like that. I like that. I, I, I like when the day is coming when no man can work. You know how much peace that put me in? As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed his eyes with the blind man of, uh, with the clay. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Sh- uh, Shalom, which is translated sent. So he went and was washed and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen Uh, that he was blind, said, Is it not he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. And he said, I am he. (laughs) Hey, guys, just, hey, this, this is me. Verse 10, Therefore they said to him, How were your eyes opened? Then he answered, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Shalom and wash. So I went and washed, and I received sight. And they said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. 
they brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put clay in my eyes, then I washed and I see. I fasted and prayed for 40 days and 40 nights. I went to every Christian conference available. I sat in the front row. They bought all their books and they signed them. No. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. They're speaking of Jesus. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was division among them. See, you, you already know what spirit's working in them. And they said to a blind man again, what do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes. This is what he said. He said, he's, he's a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked him, saying, is, is this your son who you say was born blind? Then, then how does he now see? His parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age. Ask him. He will speak for himself. Don't ask us. He's a, he's a man. You ask him. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age. Ask him. <laughs> okay. So they called again the man who was blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. That hit me. See, people don't have a problem giving glory to God. They have a problem giving glory to man. I I know people that are like, I don't want to take any glory. I don't want to steal God's glory. You can't steal what he gave you. Like just... Get over yourself. You're pretty awesome. Uh, it's, it's okay. If you think you're awesome, you're probably in the presence of the right person. I don't want to get big-headed. You, if you want to go down that road, I just, I just want to challenge you. I've, that took me a long time to get out of that hole. It really did. God doesn't make anything that's not of him. It's impossible. And then verse 26 said, then they said to him again, what he did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Then he said, I already told you and you do not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? (laughs) I love that. Oh, man, that's fun. Then they reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. Mm. Man, we're from this denomination. Oh, God heals feet. We know what God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, why, this is a marvelous thing 
that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear from hear sinners, but if everyone anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it this dude's prophesying. Since the world began, it has begun it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of who was born blind. And then if this man were not uh, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, "You were completely born in sins, and you are teaching us." And they cast him out. <laughs> Jesus heard that they cast him out, and when he found him, he said to him, "Do you believe in the Son of God?" And he said to him, "Who is he, Lord, that I might believe in him?" And Jesus said, you both have seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment, I have come into this world that those who do not see may see. And those who, who say they see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said to him, If you were blind, you would have no sin. (laughs) If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see. Therefore, your sin remains. You see, Jesus... Jesus, you see right there in that chapter a complete operative of what spirits are doing what. You have some spirits are like, how did you do this? Where did you get that? What's his, what's his credentials? Where did you go to Bible college? You know, all these things. And then you have another person who's, I'm just free. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, that's some pretty cool stuff. I, that's an awesome plaque. Good job. That took you a lot, a lot to get that. I just, I was blind and now I see. It's simple. This, is, this isn't a complicated thing. Jesus' Jesus Bible college was only three years. And those men flipped the world upside down. Acts, they're coming into a city and the people met the apostles at the gate and said, you are the ones who have turned the world upside down. And I, I'm just so excited that I'm, I'm so glad to get the, the doctrine of, of that, that mindset out of my system. It feels so good because to the pure, all things are pure. See, Jesus was pure. So when someone said, hey, who, tell me the story. Tell me the story behind why this guy's blind. He's like, oh, this is, God's just going to, God's going to heal him because he just wants to reveal his goodness and humanity. And sometimes we like to make a case for something God doesn't want to think about. God so disagreed with your sin, he sent his son. 
God so disagreed with the concept that you were a sinner. (laughs) God doesn't agree that you're a sinner. That's the gospel. You're not a sinner. And it, the Bible says that the Spirit in you bears witness. It doesn't say the Spirit of God bears witness in us that we are sinners. It doesn't say that. It bears witness in us that we are sons of God. And in 1 John it says, those who are of God cannot sin. I'm sorry, but the, 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 the exposure of sin... The, the talk of sin only creates power for it. It does not empower God. God is not threatened by your sin. It's, it's, it's a big gospel. He, got, he makes it so, so small, he doesn't even have to talk about it. And it actually frees people. If I was to go up to if I was to go up to Nathan and say, Nathan, man, you you really shouldn't have shot that guy yesterday. He'd be like, what are you talking about? Man, you're just that's evil, man. You can't do that. And he's like, I didn't I didn't shoot anybody. If if you get enough people telling him he's evil, he's going to end up believing it. And then how do you think he's going to start acting? He's going to start acting upon the identity you've placed on him. Jesus came to restore the identity of who you were and who you never were. There is no problem with your nakedness. You just saw it as bad. And it was because you ate fruit of distinction of what was good and what was evil. You passed judgment on people. And as you pass judgment on people, you dished out what you now will receive. And see, Jesus says, I judge no one. I separate no one because my judgment is just. And it's the goodness of God that leads us to realize our nature has been perfect from the beginning. I know what the fear is. I I know what some of you are thinking. Well, if you preach this message, then you're just opening your door for people to run around and do whatever they want. No, it's that, that thought process that Paul warns against in Romans 1. See, Romans 1 was not Paul talking about the world. Romans 1 was Paul talking about the Pharisee lifestyle that he came out of that you just heard Jesus address. And it is that lifestyle that perpetuates sin. Paul was not ashamed of that gospel. And I, it's, this is huge. It really, and you know what? I'm seeing this in creation. I'm seeing people that I used to think, man, you're just out there. And I'm seeing, man, they're the ones with no sin. They're the ones with, that are reaching people. They're the ones that are giving grace to humanity. They're the ones who find a way for people. 
They're the ones who don't give them rules to freedom. They give them freedom, and that freedom establishes rules. It's, it's amazing. And it's, it's, it's so good to be in a place. It's so free to know that people have been saved. You know, I want to give you guys something that I'm, this is, I'm just going to tell you, this is, this is going to sound weird. Okay? You guys got, are you go okay? okay? Thank you. There are no lost people. The word lost actually stops after the Gospels. How many, how many, how many lost sheep were there? 99. No? There were 99. There were one lost sheep. How many found sheep were there? 99. How many lost? One. How many coins were found? Nine. How, how many coins were in possession? Nine. How many coins were lost? One. How many sons were lost? How many, prodigal. You have the prodigal and you have the one that stayed home. You have one and one. Why is it that we think that there is one found and 99 lost? Why is it that we think that there's one coin that found, but there are nine other coins that are lost? Why is it that we, have, we don't have Jesus' perspectives and think that there's a lot less work than you think, but because you have such a spirit of fear on you, you got it all backwards? And guess what? The sheep was found. The coin was found. The son was restored. Jesus did not have a perception that people were lost. He gave the end of the story and they were all found. When you think people are lost, you create an identity that they are lost and you unempower yourself to do anything that's going to bring them into that revelation of who they are as a son. This, is, this frees everybody up. This frees everybody up. I'm, I'm making a bold statement. There are no lost people. There are no more lost people. Jesus found them all. And it's my, it is my message that is from him that says, hey, you're, you're free. That's, you're found. I don't feel found. You're a son. I, I had a guy at work. This guy I've been reaching out to him. And I said this. And you I wish I could have taken a picture. I got it in my mind. But I said, I said to this, I said, don't you ever let anybody tell you you're a sinner. And he just got this. He was like, dude, you're a pastor. That's how you get your money. <laughs> Our message is freedom. Jesus' message is you're a son. You're free from that stuff. But they're practicing it. That's because you're saying that what they're doing is wrong rather than you've been made righteous. And instead of you saying, man, you're righteous. God made you righteous. He made you righteous. I am? You're righteous. I guess I'm righteous. But what does that righteous person act like? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. I'm going to end with a story. Um, I didn't know if I was supposed to share this. But I, I feel I'm supposed to share this. I, I felt like it's led to this. This is a story by John Burke. It's out of um, 
It's a church in Gateway. You guys know Gateway Church. This is a story called When Two Lesbians Walk Into a Church Seeking Trouble. Let's just go for fun. We'll see how much we can push their buttons. Amy teased her girlfriend, who didn't like the idea of hanging around a bunch of Christians. Come on, Amy insisted. I hear their motto is, come as you are. I just want to prove that they're come as you are unless you're gay. Amy had been in a nine-year lesbian relationship that had broken up, leaving her wondering why her deepest longings could never be satisfied. She and Rachel had just started hanging out when they decided to attend one Sunday morning. I came upon a mission to shock people, Amy admits. Rachel and I would hold hands in front of people, but instead of disgusted looks of contempt we expected, people met eyes with us and treated us like real people. So we started coming to church weekly. We kept moving closer to the front each week, trying to get a reaction so that we'd be rejected sooner rather than later. When we couldn't shock people, we stopped trying and started learning. Not long after that, Rachel and I stopped seeing each other, but I kept coming to church because I was searching for something, Amy admits. I definitely wasn't looking to change. It wasn't my lesbian lifestyle that I was bringing to God, but I wondered if God had answers to my deeper longings. Problem was, I didn't trust God at all. The more I listened and learned about the teachings of Jesus, the more I started to actually believe that God really did love me. I heard more and more about being his masterpiece, and in time, I actually started to believe it. The more I believed God actually could see me, it could see something of value in me, the more I trusted him. Over time, Amy slowly opened her heart and struggles to Christ. It took several years, but I moved closer and closer to Christ. He gently took me on a very surprising journey, she says. First, I found out my father had nine affairs while I was growing up, a secret that rocked my world. Jesus began to show me how the roots of my sexual issues tie together with my dad's. And I, just like them, was using people to find comfort, life, and love outside of God. Amy continued to grow in her knowledge of the scriptures, falling more and more in love with the Lord. The following year, God had another surprise for her. I went to the seminar called To Be Bold, hosted at Gateway. I wanted to see how God could put closure to my brokenness, but what he had showed me shocked me. As Dan Ellender was telling a story of a bully, Amy recalls, I suddenly had a flashback of getting off the school bus. I lived down the street from Jimmy, a boy who had bullied me all year. But this particular day, Jimmy acted nice to me as I got off the bus. He apologized for being so mean, so he invited me to come to his house. That day in the the seminar, all else faded to the back of this vivid nightmare crept back to life. Amy saw herself walking through Jimmy's front door, noticing all the shades pulled down. Startled, she spied two teenage boys eyeing her with a ravenous look as the door slammed shut. Her screams never escaped the evil darkness that enveloped that house. They pinned her down and raped her. She was only nine. Amy Amy swam in a pool of tears as the seminar continued. 
Others were oblivious to her divine epiphany. She realized the Lord had been drawing her near to strengthen her for this revelation. To show her the source of so much sexual struggle hidden for years beneath the layers of protective mud. After that, I realized God knows more about me than I know about myself, Amy recalls. And he wants to bring healing to these wounds. So I fully gave him my heart and body, everything. As I continued to seek intimacy with him, the lesbian struggles fell away. Uh, I'm not saying that that's how God works with everyone, but how it's healing me. The more I focus on God's intimate love for me and try to see his masterpiece emerge, the less I want anything to get in the way of his work for me. Seven years later, Emmy leads our ministry to help people find healing and wholeness from all kinds of sexual and relational struggles. She's helping others become God's restored masterpiece. Jesus is never shocked. Do you realize that Jesus is not shocked by the shocking things people do? Jesus knew Zacchaeus had robbed people blind and profited off much unethical behavior. Yet Jesus was not shocked. He did not offer Zac correction, but relationship. Come down, Zacchaeus. I'm staying at your house tonight. That shocked everyone. Yet relationship changed Zacchaeus. Jesus knew that the Samaritan woman at the well had been married and divorced five times. And he knew about her current hookup and how sexually entangled she was with the guy she was living with. Jesus was not repulsed. Samaritans of Jesus' day were treated by the religious community like gay people often get treated by some of today's Christian community. None of this kept Jesus away or kept him from offering her living water. Maybe Jesus wants Christ followers to be less like the Pharisees and more like him. Unshockable. Luke tells of a time Simon the Pharisee invited Jesus to dinner. Jesus and his disciples went and reclined at the table along with Simon's religious friends who were skeptical about Jesus' true identity, mainly because he showed more love for sinners than love for the law of Moses. I'll continue reading. Jesus had just made it clear this wasn't true. He came to fulfill the intent of the law of Moses. They invited Jesus there to judge him, not learn from him. Middle Middle Eastern dining style consisted of a one-foot-high table with pillows on the floor for seating, with people sitting usually with feet stretched out to the side or behind them. As the meal proceeded, the immoral woman crashed the party. She sheepishly made her way over to stand behind Jesus. Luke's makes sure we know she had lived a sinful life. The, uh, she did not just have a, uh, a few slip-ups, but rather made a life out of her sexual deviances, and everyone knew it. Her mud was public knowledge. Her whole life she had felt judged and condemned by the religious establishment. So to go into a house of her tormentors took enormous courage. Yet there she stood, because Jesus was, Jesus was there. That's good. Somehow word on the street had traveled to her through the crowd she hung out with. There's hope in Jesus for the muddiest human. Hearing 
he had come near, an unstoppable force welling up within her had drawn her to his feet. As she stood in the presence, hope bursting uh, through the dam of all the pain that had driven her mudslinging behavior, she started to cry. Her tears accidentally landed on Jesus' dirty feet that his host had not shown the common courtesy to wash. The tension in the room mounted. Everyone's shoulders tightened as she fell to her knees behind Jesus, bent down, and wiped his dirty feet with her hair. She took out a bottle of mixed oil and perfume, took the oil in her hands, and gently stroked his feet with the oil, kissing them as she anointed him with her perfume. Jesus just sat there, never flinching, eyes fixed on the Pharisees, watching them react in shock and disbelief. Flames of content shooting out of their merciless eyes. Simon could not stand it no more. This outrageous scene had proven his point. He muttered to himself and his more respectable guest, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. In other words, if Jesus were truly a prophet, he would know about her scandalous sexual sin and he would be shocked. But Jesus did know and he was not shocked. Now, you have to realize this was a controversial situation. Imagine a known prostitute coming up to your pastor, kissing his feet, rubbing oil on them after a Sunday service. It would be his last Sunday at most churches if he didn't put an end to this fast. What was Jesus thinking? Why didn't his shock, why didn't this shock Jesus like it, did, like it would all of us? Jesus looks at the heart. It's all about the heart. Jesus confronted the unloving hearts of his host and friends while this woman demonstrated a heart overflowing with love, Jesus said, Simon, I have something to tell you. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, a whole lot of money, and the other 50, one-tenth as much. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave both debts. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one with the bigger debt forgiven. Jesus said, you've judged correctly. The only thing Simon had judged correctly that day. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with the tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman for the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head. But she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her sins have been forgiven, as her, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. It's all about love. Not a love that ignores the mud and the damage that destroys God's masterpiece, but a love that recognizes how much loving mercy God has given a messed up person like me. That's what she's saying here. That great love brings grace and truth together to give hope to a broken world in need of forgiveness and restoration. Anyway, that's the end of that. You don't have a weak message. 
The gospel that you carry is not conditional. The gospel is a declaration, not an option. It's what he said from the beginning. It is the way it is. It's not that he is the only way. The only, it's not one of those statements where it's like, it's this or nothing. It's, he, he's the way. He, he's the door. Where there's life, that's Him. Where there's love, that's the right spirit. God will work out the kinks and the practice. You know, when Paul writes the church of 1 Corinthians... The, the Corinthians had a right experience, but they had, wrong, they had wrong doctrine. And Paul brings this letter in love saying, Hey guys, you're, you're doing some awesome stuff. Let me, uh, if I can just help you guys with a little bit. Got the right spirit. It's all the same spirit. Good stuff. Let me just, let me help you with some things. And I, I, see, I see this body being just the epitome of grace to people. People have heard the rules, but they haven't met the person. You can know the whole book and not know the author. Uh, I ju- I, I, we, we're, not, we're not inviting people into knowledge. We're, we're inviting people into intimacy. This is, this is communion. That is communion. It's Jesus breaking bread. And giving it to you. Saying, hey, take my body. I took your sin. You're righteous. Um, can I say something else? I'm, I'm done. I just, I really feel that we're going to see um, a different way that people are free. Like I mentioned in the beginning of the sermon that people, people have been coming up to, uh, we've had just weird encounters where people are coming up to us. And then I, I read in the, in the Bible where it says, if I be lifted up, I'll give you a whole lot of good church ideas. Now, I will draw all men. And I see these weird encounters of people going up to our congregation for no reason looking and i bet you that's the spirit of christ that sometimes we don't even realize we're emitting and i just want to make that aware to you this morning i want you, i want you to be aware of the spirit that you are emitting and that he has entrusted you with that's huge like he trusts you with it this one guy was walking along and he had some uh, a banding leapshire from Jesus culture and he's walking along this beach or uh, area in California and he's worried about Lord I don't want to mess up your will for my life and he said he said he heard the Holy Spirit said you're not that big <laughs> yeah he trusts you with the Holy Spirit it's pretty awesome I think you guys got something this morning I just want to I want to confirm that you guys just stand up and take a hand with you and just just Give somebody a hug. I'm just going to grace you in the, in the grace of God this morning. Lord, I just thank you for your presence. 
And as we embrace our sister and our brother next to us, we're just giving a hug right now. Just give them a big hug. We're just putting the Spirit of God on them right now. Spirit of God. Spirit of God. This is the Spirit of God. Spirit of God right there. There's freedom. There's healing in that. Love you guys. If you guys um, want to come for prayer, we're just going to continue to love on people. You guys have a good day. As the house of God. Hey, man. Hey, bro. Great work.